was plagued with me. God intervened, touched my neck, my back. I don't have to walk with a cane. I can turn my head both ways. I don't have to turn my whole body anymore. God is so real and so unbelievably gracious to us, has so much grace. And if you pray, have the faith. If you don't have the faith, don't pray. But he touched me. I can run. I've got so much joy. I want to just jump and holler. Thank you. So that's good. So, I mean, that's great, you know. That's right. You did, yeah. I mean, so you got to witness as well. That's excellent. Good deal. Okay. So anybody else have a praise report or praise report? Yes, ma'am. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. God is working. That's excellent. Yes, Tommy. That's good. That, that's excellent. Yes, Hope. Mm-hmm. Praise the Lord. Good, good. Good deal. Thank you, Lord. All right. Yes, Jacqueline. Yes, praise the Lord. We know God is a healer, right? We know God is a healer. We are thankful for his word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you today, God. We thank you, God. And even, God, in the midst of hearing these testimonies, Lord, we know that there are needs present. And I just ask, Lord God, that the faith that has been built by hearing the words of testimony, Lord God, that that one that has a need in their body would reach up and receive it even now. 
God, by the grace that you have given us. I pray, Father, for that one who needs provision, Lord, that you would meet, God, as hearing of testimonies of provision. I ask, Lord God, that that one, Lord God, who needs family restoration, that you would bring families together, God, as they hear the testimony of family restoration, Lord. We thank you, Lord God, because there is not one area of our life, Lord, that is outside of your reach, Lord. We thank you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. That is often that's common. Through your body. That is common. That is common. And that when we pray for people for healing, many times we'll say, do you feel anything in your body? You know, a lot of people say, oh, it's not about feeling. It's not. And it doesn't, you don't have to feel a thing to be healed. But many times we find that when the Spirit of God is moving in a person, there will be a sensation of some sort. And it always is nice when you feel a sensation to have the person who's praying with you to qualify that sensation as, that's good, let's move right there, that's the Lord. Because all you're doing, it's a faith journey. You know, you're trying to move forward in faith and grow faith as you're receiving. Because as your faith is, so be it unto you. So we grow in our faith. That's great. Thank you. So we talked about last week, we, we laid out exiled vessels. Do you all remember that? We talked about putting the vessels were in, in Nebuchadnezzar's house and how we, we set up the reality that in a great house there are many vessels, some of wood, hay, and, or not wood, hay. You don't have hay vessels. That would be terrible vessels, right? Wood and, and, common, and common things. And then some are made of precious metals such as gold or silver. And they're called vessels of honor and dishonor. And Paul's talking to Timothy here, and he says, you know, so he shifts the analogous thing just a little bit, and he says, and here's the reality. If you cleanse yourself from filth, then you will be a vessel of honor. So now we're not talking about vessels anymore, are we? Who is the vessel? We are the vessels. And then whereas a wood vessel can't do anything about being a wood vessel, can it? A stone vessel can't do anything about being a stone vessel. A clay pot can't do anything about being a clay pot. It will always and forever be or a vessel of dishonor. But we, he says, through the receiving of the cleansing, he said, you can become a vessel of honor. I was loving talking this morning about, we were talking about the, her healing, and then she went to a friend's house and said, well, you just have something different about you. you just, you're, you're glowing. Your hair's even shinier. Now, you think, well, that's kind of funny. But see, it's not. It's not at all because, see, the reality, and then we, I was talking to Tim. They're gone this morning, but I was talking to him and his niece, and his niece said to him, said, Tim, I've known you all my life, but for some reason you're just looking smarter and smarter. Now, see, what is that? That's right, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe. So what's happening there is we don't realize it, but we as a vessel, we contain the very presence of God, and it has an impact on everything. Our appearance, how others perceive us, what we bring into a room. I mean, if I can't convince you, to submit yourself wholly to God just because he's worthy, which I should be able to just say that and leave it there. But if I can't convince you to submit yourself wholly unto God because he's worthy, at least let me try to convince you to submit yourself wholly unto God because it's just the best thing a body can do. 
I mean, you're going to be better at your work. And you may not, Mike always used to say this. He said, I don't want to preach better. He said, I just want people to hear me to think I'm better. That's how the anointing works. It doesn't have to make you the best, but it can bring an environment about you and around you and through you that you just have this, the Bible says he surrounds me with favor as with a shield. I mean, can't you just walk into a room and with favor surrounding you? Then you just start attracting favor. Wisdom runs from many people. Because there's nowhere for wisdom to land. Because they won't partner with the things of wisdom. All they ever do is dumb stuff. I don't know. Y'all probably don't know. Nobody here, certainly. But, you know, people you know. You know, me and Mike, we have a term for We call them can't get right. You know, oh, can't get right. They just can't get right. You know? Yeah, it's a movie, isn't it? So, so we, we see that. But see, we are vessels. We bring to the world whatever's inside of us. The Bible says that if we have this treasure in what? Jars of clay. So the excellency of the power may be unto God and not of us. That's what I just said. I don't have to be better. I just have to have the treasure. And you start thinking I am better. But then it goes on to say we are pressed but not crushed persecuted, not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. How, how, how could a clay vessel be pressed and not crushed? How could it be struck down and not destroyed? How could it be dropped and not smashed? It ha- it's still clay, but yet it's not. It's, it, see, follow, the, follow what the scripture says. We are, cru- we are pressed, but not crushed. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Why? He's already told us. You got to back up. But because the treasure is in the earthen vessel, you see, it flips it on its head. How many of you? Your dynamic is this: you take a treasure and you put it into something safe, like a safe right? Something that has a combination that if the house burns down, the safe is fireproof. How many of y'all got those in your house? I do. Just a little safe in a closet. Some of you, because that's all we got. That's, we don't need any more space. All it really holds is, I could, in, in the guest room closet. That's why they don't tell me the combination. (laughs) I don't know it, by the way. (laughs) So you can't even catch me. It's nothing in there, y'all. It really. Anyway, so we, I was like, what's wrong with what I'm saying? I never even got it until you pointed that out. Thank you. That's right. That's probably, yeah, you can probably do it, but it will be, you will be, you will be so disappointed. (laughs) So disappointed to have my marriage license. (laughs) Anyway, so. Is that what, what was I saying? Okay, so we put treasure in a safer place, right? But see, do you see the, the paradox there? The treasure's in what? A jar of clay. It's not in a safe place at all, is it? So what's the flip? The treasure is protecting us. 
We're not protecting the treasure. We are pressed, but not crushed, persecuted, not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Why? How could that be? Because I have treasure. So I'm a vessel, and what is in me is bringing the protection from without me. The favors with it, not because I am so anything, but it's who I hold. And then I'm a vessel of honor. Right, meat for the master's use. So when he wants to use a vessel, he's going to choose one that is actually going to glorify him. So here we are. That's my vessel recap. So, and the the people are vessels. We're supposed to get that. Hebrews 11 and 13 says this, These all died in faith, talking about the hall of fame, the faithers, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They saw them from afar, and they received them by faith. All of the ones, they were the vessels that were moving in. They were the, all the ones in the Hall of Fame. You know, Enoch and Noah and Abraham and all these different ones. Mankind, y'all know this, is born after the image of Adam. Adam is made in the image of Adam and Eve did what? Then Genesis 5 and 3, and man, all man is made in the image of God. But then Adam sinned, and so the image became distorted. Genesis 5, 3 says, then Adam lived 130 years, and he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. So now we have the beginning of the problem. So We, as children of God on the planet and people, just human beings, human beings in general, it doesn't matter if you're a child of God or not, but human beings in general, we operate after the fall by what we called last week the big five. What are the big five? The five senses, seeing, hearing, tasting, touching, feeling, right? Uh, No, I missed one. Smelling, yeah, I got smell. So... That's what we have. We operate in that way. We make choices. The tree of the knowledge of good and bad, it began what we know in our civilization as the rise of moralism. You're like, what's wrong with moralism? We want moral people. But here's the problem with moralism. Ah, yes, because moral, what, I mean, how many of you would agree that in your grandmother's generation, the world was more moral? I mean, I hear people say this all the time. Back in my grandfather, his word was his bond. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? I mean, we see that. I mean, how many, what do we call the World War II generation? The greatest generation. We call. And so I'm not saying that they were moral. I'm not saying that they were moral as in God's morality. But how many of you would say that it's a fair assessment that the world that existed in, say, 1940 was, by all accounts, filled with a higher brand of morality. I mean, 
you know, I mean, we, you know, you didn't have to lock your doors. You didn't have, you know what I mean? There was a different type. A, a di- and how many of you say, man, we've lost some morality there? I mean, I think we could probably all agree. We're not, we're not stating, but see, even there, even there, man at his most moral apex is still a sinner. Because, see, the problem with the tree of the knowledge of good and bad, and I determine what's good and bad by the use of my will and the functioning of my, my will within my five senses. Now, I can determine what's good and bad, and my good may be better than your good, or your good may be better than my good. We decide. But, see, the problem with that reality is who sets the standard for morality? And not God should. Ah, in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we set the standard for morality. So we, we drive in our stake, and one generation drives it in, and they drive in their stake. For, this is our measure of morality. We do, because that's what it means. And so here, and then the next generation comes along, and they're like, we don't like. You're a stinking steak. Hmm. Well, Proverbs 14 hooks it in. The next generation comes along. This is the stake of morality. The 60s, the sexual revolution. That was the stake of morality. You know what I mean? If you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with. And so, Many people today in the church, unfortunately, this morality has shifted as well. We're glad that a heterosexuals live together. At least they're not gay, they would say. I mean, I've heard these exact words. So what we've done is we said, what we've done, don't act like, don't act all pious like you haven't heard that. And so we set that stake there, and what we've done now, what have we just done? We've said one is sin and the other is not as bad as sin. See what we're doing? We're just, see? So we've said we could do this all day long and I could hit every every toe in the house with your version of morality. Right? I mean, because who's deciding? And now, now the stake is not even, it's driven, we don't even, we don't even drive the stake anymore. It's more like a cane. Right, we just can't, yeah, now we have, now we have to be woke or all kinds of stuff, you know. Now, now in order to show that morality has not actually denigrated, lesson, we are trying to alter the past, the history. We remove monuments or whatever, and wherever you're at on that argument, I don't care. The whole point of it is, I know there are a lot of bad things in history, but when we start trying to alter where we came from, the whole point is, is to, is to, no, is to erase it so we don't have to be accountable to our morality slide. And now morality is just determined by moi. And so all of us in here, when we talk about salvation is not behavior modification, a.k.a. morality, because who, 
Who gets to decide what's moral? That's man. That's a shifting tide. But Mike says it's not behavioral modification. It's not morality adjustment, is it? It's transformation. It's whole life transformation. And so here, where God, the Spirit of God, the treasure, comes and drives the stake in the ground of our heart with regard to morality. Because in here, we can argue all day long about what you think is sin and what you think is sin and what you think is sin and whether you gamble or whether you drink or whether you smoke dope or whether you do this or whether, yeah, yeah, yeah it's right, or chew bubble gum at school or whatever. So cheat on your science test. Lord, I knew that was sin because I knew I should hide it. So we, we look at this. We could have that argument here, right, and bat it back and forth, right? Sin, not sin to me, sin to me, not sin to me. Well, that's sin to me. Well, that's not sin to me. You know what I mean? We could just play ping pong. So that's why God said we won't play this game at all. Because none of you are moral. I'm God speaking here. Or me. You see what I'm saying? Morality cannot be determined from immoral people. No, not one. And so here we are. We're all in this soup. That's the tree of knowledge. It's making decisions by your own wisdom. Morality. But then God, he does something extraordinary. He shows us a path of faith. When he calls a man who is absolutely unworthy of being called, he chose him out of a pagan land. His name was Abram. God chose Abram out of a pagan land. And he, the first act of grace was God's call. And Abram received it, and he began the journey of faith, of obedience. If you try to show me any other brand of obedience or a faith that doesn't include obedience, I am going to just thump you between the eyes. You have no idea how I edited out all the other things I wanted to do. That was the edited out version that I had finally come to. That, all those, that's, that's where I got. And that's as mild as I could get because I'm going to do better with those things. So we have Abram, but see, then Abram, you know the story. So many different things happen in Abram's life, and he becomes Abraham, the father of a nation. And then the, the, the peace de resistance happens. It's known throughout scholarship. Y'all ready for a new word? It may not be a new word to you. The Akidah. Have you ever heard of that? The Akidah. A-Q-E. Why would I spell? A-Q-E-D-A-H. The binding of Isaac. The Akidah. That's what it's called in Hebrew. The Akidah. And so Abram is given... The ultimate test of the tree of morality or the tree of obedience, also life. Abram is given a test. Abraham, take your son, your one and only son, and sacrifice him on an altar I will show you. What? Should Abraham have done then? God just spoke to him to sacrifice his son. 
Abram, here's the kicker, y'all. Y'all know the story, so it's so easy for you to know what happens, but you don't know your own story yet. See, the problem was submitted to Abraham. It was a moral quandary, one that involved the most devoted, devoted love to his son that any of us parents would know. And so Abraham had to choose from what seemed to be right. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You're like, this is so cruel. This is not cruel. This is God's mercy breaking through in a cruel world. And so Abraham, and God, he didn't call Abraham with that call on day one. Abraham's been walking with God. This is years in the making. Abraham comes and he gets up early and goes and brings wood. He brings fire, maybe flint, and a knife. He left planning on full obedience. And we don't hear, we don't hear him going, how dare God? We don't hear him questioning the morality of God and starting to measure the morality of this God he serves with his own brand of morality. Abraham obeys to the point that he binds Isaac, raises the knife, and the tree of life appears. And there was a realm caught in a bush. The word bush, we have lots of different words in our English language for tree, bush, shrub, wood, all these things. Hebrew, it's just one. It's just one word. In other words, it said a tree appeared. There was fruit in a tree. He's up there with the wood of his own morality, not rooted in anything. Are y'all getting this? There's no root. There's no root to your morality because you can just move it. It looks like a piece of firewood. You can just move it all day long, and you do. And he arranged the wood of his own unrooted bogus morality and he put the promise whom he wouldn't have had if it wouldn't have been from God and he raised the knife and God said now I have one who's chosen a different fruit from a different tree and he saw a realm caught in a tree fruit on a tree and he chose that ram and he sacrificed it and God told Abraham now I know how did he know how does he know you that's it and so here we have the greatest story ever told and the one I am so glad that Abraham passed because had he not my kinship to Jesus would have been forfeited. But God is so graceful. 
and he chose. And here, then we have the gospel presentation acted out that because of a man and a woman and a tree, there's another man who's going to hang on an unrooted tree. And the fruit of that tree, when we receive it, we will, if we will look to him and sacrifice our own brand of morality, our own ability to decide what we will and we won't do with our lives. If you haven't made that decision, friend, you don't know salvation. You have come into the purview of religious performance. You have been instructed in theological systems. You have been introduced to a hope of heaven. But you, friend, have not passed through the altar of the cross. Now you say, Andrea, you can't say this. I will say it until my teeth fall out in one deal. But Stacy's helping me with that. I will say it until I can't, I will say it until you pick up stones and tell me to shut up. That's how committed I am to seeing a people readied for the coming of the Lord and to stop seeing a church who is so complacent and asleep that if the drug manufacturers could just eject some of the lifeblood from this organism called the church. They could produce a sleeping pill that would knock a person out for ages because that's how dried up and dead the church has become, relying on the unrooted staff of her own immorality. Stop! I'm getting madder by the second. I'm fixing to move on. Okay. Why? See, this is where I'm at. I'm not looking to placate you. I'm not looking to pamper you. I don't mind pacifying you. But if I have to part your mustache to put the pacifier in, we've got a problem. It's time to stop. You hear what I'm saying? I don't want to change your diapers. You're too old for that. Obey God. I'm tired of having to con convince people. Wait a second. I'm tired of having to convince people that they need to obey. That somehow obedience is a... Is a a, a better brand of Christianity and trying to sell you like some cheap knockoff watch salesman. Want to try this level of sanctification? How about this one? There's only one. <clears throat> you see what I'm saying? Of course they're afraid to give it all because men love darkness rather than light, lest their deeds be made known. They, their, their situational ethics kicks in. 
Your ethics, your morality most often comes from your own circumstance. Your poverty determines what you give or don't give. Of course. And by your morality one day, not yours, not yours, by the morality that you choose to live by, that is the morality that God will judge you by. You're writing your own laws. When the books are opened, he'll open yours. Oh, we're, we're going to judge you by the morality that you've chosen, and you will crumble even under the weight of your own prescribed morality. Surrender your life to him. Exchange your bogus morality for a vine that's rooted into eternity. For you are the, for I am the vine and you are the branches. Any man who abides in me will bear much fruit, will bear much fruit. And this, by this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. If any man ask anything in my name, it shall be done. That's John 15. Now we're moving on. So, morality. I had no idea that was going to hit so hard. I didn't even have that planned. I was going to brush through morality. Gosh. So, God, he set up now Abraham as a nation. But what does a nation need? Every nation needs this. What? They need a leader, but what do they need more than that? We have leaders every four years. They need vision. What do they need more than vision? We have vision every four years. Constitution, right? We got to have something that we're anchored to, tethered to. So God knows this, being not a dummy, and so he provides a system of morality called the Torah. See, because your five senses have been the light unto your feet, and the, the lamp unto your feet, and the light unto your path. I can't help it. That just is. Your morality and your five senses, the way you live with your five senses, the way you see, the way you feel, the way you m interact with your environment, and whatever that circumstance may be, whatever it may be, if someone slaps you on one side of the cheek, the circumstance demanded it. My morality, they, ne they needed it. They had, see what you did, you shifted your morality, for, didn't you? Right? It's just what we do. We all do that. And so... What we have to have here is we have to have another type of a morality, one that's not shifty, one that's established and solid. And so instead of your own morality, your five senses interacting with your environment, that's you being a light into your feet and a lamp into your path. That's your five senses being a lamp into your feet and a light into your path. Happens all the time, guys. Happens in the church. Happens right here among these people. Happens all the time. Happens all the time. And so, we got our own, I mean, I just stop, Andrea, stop. The examples will kill y'all, so I'll stop. So, the word, so we have that. Now, the Lord's like, they're going to need a different light. So, he gave the word. The psalmist said in Psalm 119 and 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I used to 
coon hunt with my dad. So if you ever went coon hunting, so you get okay. Got my coon hunters back there. I, I tell you, I'm as country as cornbread and as southern as Ellie Mae Clampett. Now, I had a coon dog. My coon dog's name was Susie Q. I mean, you got to name them after a southern name, right? I mean, Leonard Skinnerd, you know, a song. So, I, my dad, and me, we had a barometer. We made ourselves on the front porch. Gosh, this makes me sound so, gosh, country. You take, a, you take a fruit jar and you put a Coke bottle in there and you have colored water and when the barometer's on the rise, <laughs> the water sucks up into the Coke jar, right, the Coke bottle. And you know the bom- barometer's on the rise. And my dad'd say, I'd go out there and look and that red water sucks up in that Coke bottle and he'd say, hey, barometer's on the rise, let's go hunting. So then we go out there, load up the coon dogs, and you go out there and you drop them off, and then they take off running through the woods, and you follow them and listen to them bay. And when they, when they tree, they sound different than when they hadn't treed. So you know when they've treed, you take off running through the woods and find where they've treed. And then my dad would scurry up the tree and knock the coon down, and the hunt's on, right? And you just do that. That's how you coon hunt in the middle of the night. Anybody coon hunt? Y'all are all wanting to go now, aren't you? <coughs> so... But what we had, my dad had what was known as a wheat light. This is before LED lights. You know, it had this like battery pack on and he had it on his head and it's like, and you, and you had that. See, it was a lamp unto his feet and a light unto his head. I didn't get one. I had, to, I had a coon hunter with a wheat light behind me and a coon hunter with a wheat light in front of me. And so I tried to stay in their light stream. But how many of you know I'm still Andrea? I, he, I can outrun them all. So I'm just running. I'll just run through the, I'm going after the, the dogs. And so, you know, I had to have a light. But that's how the word was supposed to be. It was a light, like that wheat light on the coon hunter's head. And they would use it to guide them in the middle of the night because there's snakes. There's, I mean, it's in, a, it's in the woods at night. Everything. See, God gave the word to that generation as a, an external light. But wouldn't it be better? Wouldn't it be just oh so much better if that light could somehow not be on a person, but in a person? That is the light that we're, see, in the old covenant, the Torah, the scroll, imagine a scroll, it was just a lamp into their feet and a light into their path. And they memorized it and they said it, but it was always an external teacher. Paul said in Galatians, it was a schoolmaster. Here it is. It was a schoolmaster. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, and what's the, what is the, the prime identifier of faith? Prime identifier of faith in your life. Oh, we already said obedience. I won't know if I, if I can I won't know if faith has come to your life unless I see obedience. That's what James said. Show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. Faith is not just something you go, faith, 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 faith. That's a parrot, you know, in a cage. Even if I could teach a parrot to say, I'm justified by faith. Amen. Rock. My Aunt Connie had a, a parrot named Captain. And every time Ronald Reagan came on, it was the 80s, he would cuss. Because that's what her husband did. So she, they taught him to cuss when they heard Ronald Reagan's voice. But that didn't mean that, did that parrot have a hatred for Ronald Reagan? No, it was just a parrot. 
just a parrot. It's just a mimic. See, that's how so many of us have become in the house of God. We've learned to just mimic the things, but we don't actually have any light. Okay, just getting. But now, we've been taught. I, okay, I've been pastoring for 30 years. And to my knowledge, Mike and I have never taught anyone to mimic. As a matter of fact, we had a woman who was a stripper come to us, or, or come in our church. And a woman, she was wearing some, you know, she's a stripper. She's wearing some clothes that kind of look like a stripper. Right? And a woman came to me in the church. She said, do you think we should go talk to her and tell her about to wear? I said, no, absolutely not. Why? You don't care what people wear? I said, I don't care at all what people wear. Because what she wears, it'll either expose the lust in another person's heart, which they need to deal with. Because the fact of the matter is, you know, we always want to cover up women. And I'm all for women dressing modestly. Don't misunderstand me. But we always want to, we, 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 we heavy over here. You know what I mean? We're heavy on this side. We always want to cover up women. And, you know, the Bible, Jesus said, he said, if a right eye offends you, you should pluck it out. We got men looking at pornography morning, noon, and night, and they got both eyes intact. Nobody's walking around with a patch on their eye. If your left hand offends you, cut it off. I mean, won't do any good to cover anybody up then, will it? Because if the offense is inside of you, it's still an offense. Because, see, you're still trying to establish your own morality. And then that's what you do, too. The next thing you do is I start trying to mess with other people's morality to try and fix my own. doesn't work. I'm for it all. I'm for you. I'm for women dressing modestly, and I'm for men not being lustful. But one doesn't necessitate the other. I'm just saying. So here we look at, we look at this, and so this woman, she says, what do I do? And we tell her how to dress. She's like, Andrew, you don't care how people dress? I said, I don't care at all. Why? I said, here's the reason why. Because if I can leave her alone, if it's real, God will do it. I said, if I go teaching her how to be some religious performer, then I will never know her anything other than a performer. But when I leave all the covers off, all the rules off, I can see people for exactly what they are. Cussers cuss around me. I don't like cussing at all. I think you're ignorant. Oh. But please cuss in front of me. You know, what I, you know when you cuss in front of me, I say, I know what's in your heart. Because I know what's coming out of your mouth. So you say, well, it's not wrong to cuss. There you go with your morality again. The Bible says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Only that which is used for edifying. Does that edify? And would it perhaps be a stumbling block? Then you, were already, you already know it's wrong. Right? Have I not just... So see, this hits us all. See, this hits us all. It even hits me. Believe it or not. We all, absolutely. See, this is how this works. This is how the Word is the lamp. The Word is the lamp. If I just... every day you see what I did I just ate the scroll and it was sweet in my mouth but then I come in here but then I come in here and the scroll gets bitter and then I go <laughs> this is how that works that's why the prophets are told to eat the scroll and it's sweet in their mouth so they can digest it but then when it comes time to get rid of it they're like Jeremiah, I wasn't going to speak. I'm not going to speak. You have no idea how many times I chide myself. And I say, I'm going to be nicer. I'm just not going to speak next time. I'm not going to do it. Lord, I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm not going to do it. And then I get on. 
it's like, I mean, it's like, if I do, I can't stop it. Apparently, I don't control God. He controls me. So here we are. Faith. Faith expects God. Expects God's will. We don't, I'm not even going to go there. That's a good teaching right there, but I don't have time. So mankind under the darkened realm and its ruler, that's where mankind's at now. Do you know it? Not, not you, mankind as general. Unless you're not saved, and then you still are. And you maybe a little bit are, a little bit aren't. You need to really judge your life. What do you mean, Andrea? I don't know. Just look at the, look at the, look at the precursors in your life. I always say it like this. Tell me what you enjoy most. Because <laughs> I can't do nothing about your, I mean, see, devotion is a, is, is a heart condition. It's not something you do at 4 o'clock in the morning. I mean, it may lead to that. But devotion's a heart condition. It's what do you not have to be told to do. See, that's, see, that's devotion. That's desire. That's where the realm of desire, that's the true test of what, who you really are, is what do you desire to do. How blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of the sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, which give forth its fruit in every season. Whatso- his leaf does not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, for they are like the chaff which the wind drives away. The ungodly will not be able to stand up in the congregation of the righteous. That's, that's it. So we, we take this and we, and I have to go, Lord, is your word my delight? Now, I will admit, anything that's not a delight, you might want to start with a discipline first. But I will guarantee you that when you get your teeth on this book, and this book gets its teeth in you. You will start to want it. It won't be anymore an obligation. It will be a sincere desire. I constantly harp on y'all about quoting and memorizing the Word of God, don't I? I do. I don't remember. It's just here. It's just here. I want... And you, he will, and he will, just spending time. See, the reason I want you to memorize, it's not because there's any power in memorization, but I want you to set yourself before the word of God. I wonder this, if tomorrow all Bibles were made illegal, would you have enough in you to do anything with? I want to know that. This is serious. This is serious. I mean, I mean, what is your delight? Your delight. Your delight is in the law of the Lord. And then people, ignorant people say, well, the law is the Old Testament. We don't need the law anymore. Then if you can't handle the word law, change it to instruction. That's what it means. See, religion has changed it to law and it's created a misnomer in our own mind. How many of you need instruction? My delight is in the instruction of the Lord, and in his instruction do I meditate day and night. I want to know, when before you get drunk, do you check the word to see if you should or shouldn't? I'm wondering.
See, that's what I'm saying. I mean, people who do, I'm like, how do you, what do you base that action on? I'm just wondering. What scripture? Oh, I'm under grace. You don't understand grace. You have no concept of grace, and you need to be realizing that your version of grace is not a biblical grace. That is a worldly secular hammering in of a personal morality that will not stand up. It won't. It won't. You're like, Andrew, this is a hard class. I hope it's going to get harder. It's going to get harder. Mankind under the darkened realm and its ruler. John 14 and 30, it caused, it, caused the, it caused Satan the prince of this world, right? The prince of this world. He would use man's dominion. The prince of this world would use man's dominion on the planet. That's you and me. Who would Satan like to use? There we go. Vessels. And so to perpetrate his distorted identity and to build systems of delusion and distortion. So he wants to build what are known as beast systems. Let's turn to Daniel 7 and look at these. See, we're going to get to Revelation, but I can't get to Revelation because I have to, there's so much back, it won't mean anything if we don't understand the whole of Scripture. Daniel 7. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and a vision in his head, and he lay on the bed. He had a dream. He wrote down the dream and told the sum of the manner, and Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, four winds of, of heaven stirred up the great sea. And what came out? Four great beasts came up out of the sea, differing from one another. The first was like a lion. It had eagle's wings. And as it looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made, and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one like a bear. It was raised up on one side, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this, I looked, and behold, another beast like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back, and the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. And after this, I saw in night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong, and it had great iron teeth, and it devoured and broke in pieces and trampled on what was left of its feet. And it was different from all the beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns, and it, con and it considered the horns. And behold, and I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn before it, which the first three were plucked off by the roots. And behold, this horn had eyes, and the eyes of a man, and a mouth, and it was speaking. Horn speaking? With, what the heck? These are all the kingdoms of the world from Daniel's time until ours. And how are they all described? Beast, beast. Beast systems. This is not hard to understand, y'all. They're all beast system. They're all grotesque beast. I mean, what, 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 what? It's a grotesque beast system. Okay, all the way back. Rewind all the way to Genesis 4. Cain. Cain, why are you so cast down? If you do right, will not I favor you? But sin is crouching at the door. And its desire is to have you. What is sin described as? All we have to see there is the beast that was outside of Cain got in Cain. And Cain began to produce beast systems. You don't believe me? You won't believe me? Genesis. Let's go. Let's go to Genesis now. See, this is how the Word of God works. If you can understand the Word of God, then you, there's no mystery anymore in the Bible. Well, there's a lot of mystery. I'll take that back. But at least some of the mystery is 
is made more clear for us. Okay, now let's go to Genesis 4, 17. Genesis 4, 17. It's real important that y'all get this. If you do well, will I not? Will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you. Contrary. It's opposite of you. It, it wants to destroy you. But you must rule over it. Cain spoke to anger. Okay, now let's go to 23 in the same chapter. Cain killed his brother. You know the story. Okay, now, now look at this. Now, if you know the story, it's going to be important for me to back this up a little bit. Cain killed his brother, right? And there was a curse. And what did Cain say about the curse? He says, too great, I can't wear that curse, right? So he put a mark on him with the curse that said, if this mark, if anybody sees this mark on Cain and kills him, they're the ones in trouble. Which, do y'all not see grace working in the midst of that? And so, so Cain is walking out under this curse, but yet protected by God at the same time. And so all of this is the goodness of God. But then look, watch this in verse 23. Um. Zula, well, 22, Zula also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Nama. Now here, Lamech had two, said to his wives, his wives. This is the first time you ever see dual marriage. It is a part of the cursed Cain system. It is not. Now you see it in the Bible. You see patriarchs had multiple. David had several wives, Right? It's a part of the beast system. It is not a part of God's plan. See, it's things that have been adopted. They've been adopted. Those things have been adopted into the biblical society. It's never been a part of God's plan. What's the qualification for a deacon? He is to be the husband of... See, we're having... The church comes through, and we're having to root back out all of those Cain systems. Okay, now here, let's look some more. Adula and Zula... Hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. Now here, this is, this is the grandson of Cain. Now listen to the distortion. Now I know y'all would never take something God said and distort it to your own advantage. But listen what he did. I have killed a man for wounding me. Lamech killed a man for wounding him. A young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold... Then Lamech's is 70-fold. He just took the mercy of God, and what did he do? He didn't throw it out the window. He distorted it into a version of grace that allowed him to do what he wanted. He twisted it, because that wasn't what God, why God gave him grace, so he could go murder whomever he wanted to. Do you not see? This is a part of the beast system that infiltrates and infiltrates through our lives so we can declare our own version of morality. Well, maybe he needed to kill those people. Maybe they were mean to him. Maybe they kicked their dog. Maybe they stole his dog food. Maybe they were walking in his yard. Maybe they did nothing. Maybe they cut him off in life. Oh, we have it now. Maybe they ran a red light. Maybe they flipped him the bird. Who knows? But he might have you see how it just, just keeps moving? You, this is how it works. And so we have here, see, this is not in the Bible to tell you how men ought to act. This is a meditation literature. You're supposed to look at it and go, dear God, how far did they fall? 
You see how it starts to, the beast system starts to encroach in our own lives. So here, I, I hope I'm pointing this out, because we're going to get to Revelation, and we're going to be talking about beasts. And you're going to need to know the biblical context for what a beast is. The world systems are beasts. Sam Smith getting up at the Grammys and gyrating to a satanic ode to Satan with his transgender person, it's not, they're not even hiding it anymore. Have y'all heard of evil water or what is it called? Evil drink, what is it called? What is it called? Yeah. There you go. Have y'all heard of that? No, don't accidentally drink it. Go look at the commercials for liquid death, supposedly. Now, this is supposed. I didn't have enough time to fact find, but all the commercials are satanic. All of them are satanic. Just go look on YouTube and look at your liquid death commercials. They are all satanic. Supposedly, this liquid death is, is the brew of witches that when people drink it, that they will receive a curse. I'm like, what? It probably won't air them all. There's a Super Bowl commercial that's on there. From Super Bowl 2022, I don't know if it was aired or not, but they made it. The point is, you can, oh, it's just, it's just, it's all satanic. My point is this, my point is this, what we used to hide in good company, you know, for polite company, is now, all, but you know what, I'm glad, I'm so glad. I am just that way. I have never been a person who likes to mince words. I know that shocks you, right? That I don't like to know where I stand with a person or not. I've never been good with like, like, I always say that I get along better with northerners than I do southerners. You know why? Because southerners are so good at their southern hospitality. Well, bless your heart. And just kind of hiding behind this polite facade. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I know. So we have this polite, you know, sometimes southerners can have a polite facade, right? That really there's just like a, a knife lurking in it somewhere. And so I've always kind of liked just the whole thing of like, let's just, let's just cut the crud see how much better I did there let's just cut the crud and let's just talk openly can't we why do we have to veil everything through through some sort of version of a polite society that's not even true anyway mm -hmm. what's the other what is the other pray tell well you go in there and there's litter boxes and there's scratchy posts and that. There's pee pads in there. You just do it however you want to. We're just moving the staff of morality, guys. It's time for y'all to wake up and smell the, the pudding because it stinks. Okay, so the man's way became marred. So we have this, his methods we're deciding were totally controlled by a sensory realm. We've already established that, right? I would read Romans to you, but I can't because I don't have time. For although they knew God, they did not honor God or glorify or give thanks to him as God. And he kept turning them over, turning them over. Turning them over, turning them over, turning them over. And at the end of any civilization is on the edge of utter decadence. You know what decadence is? It's Sam Smith on the Grammys. That's a decadent society. It's, the, it's Sodom and Gomorrah. It's the men demanding, young and old, it said, demanding the angels be given to them. I used to say this can't happen, but boy, was I wrong. I mean, I can't watch commercials anymore. I don't want to see men kiss. I don't want to see men kiss. I don't, I, I don't either. I don't either. That's true. 
That's true. So, self, okay, so all of this, this is the world that we live in. Many false worship systems were introduced from this biblical world because people will worship. I don't even have time to go through the false worship systems. We go, all the other nations have false worship systems. Israel, of course, you know, became tainted with the worship system. We know that Israel's worship system was right. That's how many people ask me that all the time nowadays. Well, how do you know that there's not many paths to heaven? God is so loving, he would choose anybody in any path. If he was, that would be sadistic for him to send his own son as one option. It is that offensive, that there's just one way. It's just one way. And if you can be offended, you're not going to make it anyway. It is. There you go. So Jesus told the woman at the well. See, she had a version of religion. They had her own worship center in Sychar. Now, many of you, this is going to, many of you think, y'all, y'all feel such, y'all feel sympathy for the woman at the well. They had their own, they were Samaritans. They were half-breeds. That's what they were called, half-breeds. That's what they, derogatory mark, it was supposed to be derogatory. You're supposed to, you're supposed to feel the sting of the derogatory statement. And so they were, they were there, and the woman says at the well, if you look back in John 4, she says, well, your people say that we ought to be worshiping at Jerusalem, but we, Jacob gave us this well. We have our own rights to biblical and chosen covenant people accountability, and they say that we can't worship on this mountain. They were worshiping in their own, they were doing their own thing in their own way, worshiping their own, you know, and it might have been somewhat good, somewhat bad, but they were doing it themselves. And what did Jesus tell them? I know, honey, it's just so bad that the Jews are that corrupt. You just stay here and do your own thing. What did Jesus look her straight in the eye and what did he say? The covenant is of the Jews. They know what's right. You don't. It's basically what he said. I, I can read it to you. Some of y'all, you're like, I have to, I'm going I'm to give it to you just straight out of the Bible instead of my Andrea version. And we're going to close with this because I'm telling you, I say all this because your morality is not going to cut it. Okay, 422. It's going to take surrender because we're fixing to talk about the tribulation and we're going to talk about every different view. And you're going to have to set yourself in a reality that if the, if the pre-tribulation rapture theology, it's theory really because no one knows. If it's not true, you're going to have to have something to put your teeth in. <laughs> I'm just saying. I mean, it's pre-trib. I'm going to find out what people believe and, and what they – but I'm, I'm saying we, we ought to look at it with clarity. Is it pre-trib, mid-trib, pre-wrath, post-trib? shouldn't bother you either way, but it will. Then there's a problem. Okay, 422, Jesus says this to the woman, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. What if I said that to somebody and said, well, well I'm, more, I'm, more, I'm more spiritual than religious. I'm going to look at them and go, you worship what you do not know. Salvation is of the covenant people of Jesus. Let's just tell your kids. You worship what you don't know. Is it, is it that cut and dried or is it that cut and dried? And when we get our version of morality that's not that cut and dried out of the way, we will actually be standing in a place where we can experience the life that God has planned for the church. Lord bless us. Amen.